Well, good afternoon, everybody. We are so glad that you've chosen to be with us here at Jubilee Fellowship Church. This weekend, we have a very special gift for you. Terry Furr is speaking. She is from Charlotte, North Carolina. She's an executive pastor there. And I can say so many things about Terry. She is a dynamic speaker. I get so much out of every time she speaks. But what I really love, she has an extraordinary and a unique gift to bring the Bible alive and to bring Bible characters alive. So all of you here at Jubilee at every campus, we just want to welcome Terry Furr. Thank you, guys. We had an awesome uh, morning this morning with the ladies and are just so grateful for the way the Lord is moving um, among your church, not only at this campus, but all of the campuses. And I really do count it a privilege. I'm not just saying that as an opening comment. I really count it a privilege to be with you and really believe that the Lord has a message on his heart for you. And I, I, I bring it to you uh, honored that he would let me journey with you in this way. And, and I want you to know that. This message came out of a time uh, really several months ago when I had felt like I was kind of buckling under the pressure of ministry, if you will, just kind of uh, journeying with people through really difficult, difficult situations and not really knowing where to put it totally, trying to just be present for people and pray with them, but, but search out matters uh, myself, and I realized that I had come upon a just an exhaustion internally. Is there anyone here that might know what I'm talking about? You know, it's one thing when you're physically tired, but it's a whole other thing when you're tired emotionally, when you're tired internally. And even though that's what I was experiencing, it's not something I really would have wanted to admit to anyone. But one morning, I was just sitting in the chair where I where I sit to do what I do. And I was talking to the Lord about this. I was just talking to him about this internal exhaustion and weariness that I was encountering. And he spoke to me out of a passage that I knew, but it wasn't what I expected in that moment. And this is the passage that I'm gonna share with you. It's Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. And it'll serve as kind of the foundation for the entire message. And it says this, it's the words of Jesus. It says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now here he uses language where he talks about a yoke. So there's a limitation in this that we're gonna talk about uh, as we explore this topic, but there is an invitation to an internal rest that I present to you we wouldn't find anywhere else. And so I'm gonna talk to you on the topic of the yoke of humility. The yoke of humility. Humility is not just an important virtue in its own right. And I really believe this. It is the pathway to freedom. Freedom only comes in the context of humility. And it is a choice to live this way. And there's an invitation being issued by the Lord. Come to me if you are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. But you will have to take upon my yoke of humility. He says, come to me. 
I'm really blown away by the invitation of God. And it's something I talk about, it's something that I think about, that he invites us to places in him. As I've studied the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and I spent most of last year focused on that topic, I thought it was such a beautiful thing to consider Jesus the one who holds the keys of David. Right in, in Revelation, every letter given to the churches, there's a revelation of Jesus entrusted to the churches. So even though they're being called to maybe a, a difficult, more radical path, he's saying, I'm, I'm laying this invitation before you in the context of a revelation of me. And so he, he says to the church in Philadelphia, behold, I'm the one that holds the keys of David. I can open doors that no man can shut. And I can close doors that no man can open. And we all rejoice in this reality. He gets places. He has access to go anywhere, anytime that he wants. But I find it interesting that just to the next church, he stands, the church in Laodicea that is lukewarm. Now understand, to the church in Philadelphia, he reveals to all of us. He is the one who stands. He is the one that has access to go anywhere, anytime. He has the keys to go anywhere. But now he stands before this lukewarm church in Laodicea and he says, I knock. He can go anywhere, but he knocks. Why? Because he issues an invitation. And he's not going to impose the yoke of humility upon any of us. But if you want a rest for your soul that causes you to live in a freedom that you cannot get anywhere else, he's saying, take my yoke upon you. He said, I'm offering this to all who are heavy laden. That means heavy spirit, weighed down in your emotions. And he says, I will give you rest. I will give you inner rest. I will give you rest for your soul, for your mind, for your will, for your emotions. I will give you rest if you take my yoke upon you. You've got to yoke yourself to me. And this is the only time in all of scripture where Jesus talks about attributes that he has. He gives different names, but this is the only time where he talks about attributes and he says, I am meek I am humble, I am lowly. And he said, I am committed to teaching you in this way, if you will yoke yourself to me. He's not calling us to an, to an occasional expression of humility, but he's defining it as a primary goal for our lives. And I'm telling you, it is the key for freedom. And I know what he has been speaking to me over the last several days about all of you. There is a freedom that you never dreamed possible. I'm not trying to get your emotions worked up. I'm telling you, it's an invitation. And some of you are, it's just a choice to say, okay, I hear that knock. He could take access of my heart any way he wants, but that's not his nature. He stands at the door and knocks and he says, if you'll open up, we'll fellowship together. And there's going to be a a, a part of me that you wouldn't otherwise experience had you not opened the door. And I believe he's coming to us in that way. He's issuing an invitation. So let me give you a, a definition of a yoke so that we can maybe have a better understanding of what it means to allow the yoke of humility uh, to be placed around our necks. And we have, I have a, a, a photo or a, a slide that you can look at of uh, what it looks like with um, oxen. Now these are, are my two pet oxen um, that I took a picture of, <laughs> not really, 
But this, if, if you see there's just a yoke and there is a space for one, uh, one, ox, one of the oxen's neck to be placed and then the other. In the ancient world, which is the same as today, it would, it would work this way. The, the, the farmer would take an experienced oxen, uh, an experienced ox that understood the ways of the field, had been laboring for that farmer for some time, and he would place a newer ox uh, under that yoke as well. And the more experienced ox would lead the way. Now, this was powerful because the new ox wasn't expected to understand what it meant to walk in that path. But, but the, the other side of that, the other powerful component to that is it made it impossible for the newer ox to get off the path. So there wasn't uh, 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 without limitation, if you will. It wasn't like no holds bar. It was the newer ox being yoked with the older ox so that he could learn the ways of the field. And Jesus is saying, put this yoke of humility upon you. He's saying, I will teach you in the ways of humility. And I can guarantee you, if you ask him for it, and you're going to have an opportunity to do that. If you just say, Lord, I want to say yes to you in this. I will come to you in this. I do want to understand what it means to be yoked to you in humility. There will be a freedom for you that you never thought possible. It, it kind of progresses like this. We start off being aware that humility is an important virtue, right? And that, but then our natural response to humility is to kind of dodge it, to find ways to escape the yoke of humility. We, we'll even use Bible verses on the grace of God or do social uh, maneuvering to, to get out of facing a humility in our relationships. We don't like that yoke. We don't like the yoke of humility. But once we decide to wrestle with it and take it on, over time it becomes a primary life goal. And he's inviting us to that in, in, in this hour, in this season, he's inviting us to it. It goes from something that we try to escape to something that we're settled on. We decide that our life goal isn't just for more comfort, for more blessing. We, we decide that we don't want to just escape the more difficult path, but instead it becomes our life goal. God, I want to excel in humility. And when that happens, then the yoke becomes easy. And the burden becomes light because there is a freedom in it that he has for all of us. Let me give you a quick definition of humility. It's in a spirit of submission, not proud, unpretentious, and preferring. As part of that definition, I just said not proud. So let's define pride. I, I listened to a message recently by Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. He recently did an eight-week series called Free Indeed that I would recommend all of you watching. It is some of the most powerful teaching on freedom, probably the most powerful uh, teaching on freedom I've ever heard. But there's one message called Permission Granted, and it's a message on pride that I can tell you brought great conviction to my life. But this is the definition that he gives for pride. He said it's trust in your own strength, trust in your own righteousness, and trust in your own wisdom. And this yoke of humility is one that we decide, I'm not going to trust in my own strength. I'm not going to trust in my own righteousness. I'm not going to trust 
in my own wisdom. Well, then I became a little more intrigued by this yoke thing because it seems like a cumbersome uh, uh, parallel or picture for Jesus to paint. He's saying that it'll give rest for our souls. He's saying that it'll give us freedom, but a yoke seems so like such a cumbersome thing. So I actually went onto YouTube and, and educated myself on how to yoke oxen. I mean, I, I can teach any of you, and for a small fee, I will do that uh, after the service. Um, and any of you farmers out there, I'm, I'm for, for hire, and I'm really, really good. Like, I'm, I'm really good at it. You saw how obedient those oxen appeared in that, in that photo. But really, in it, the farmer starts talking about the purpose of the yoke, and, and not only that it brings this synergy and this joined power where, where, the, where there's so much productivity that comes out of the two ox working together, but he was also talking about how it's used as a training tool for the younger ox. And then he started uh, to develop that idea, and he gave three, um, he, he gave three reasons for the, for the yoke and three benefits for the yoke, and it's where I find my three points tonight. And I'm telling you, as I was listening to this farmer and I was being taught by him on how to yoke oxen, I was blown away. Like my heart started to beat within my chest because I knew that there was something that the Lord was issuing to the body um, in this call, in this invitation to humility. And I, and I, again, I'm not being dramatic in this. It will change everything if we say yes to it. Number one, the yoke of humility trusts his leadership. The yoke of humility trusts his leadership. In Psalm 32, verse 8, the first part, it says this, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. Noah's pathway was a pathway of overwhelming responsibility. David's pathway was a pathway with enemies. Joseph's pathway was a pathway with injustice. Abraham's pathway was a pathway of the unfamiliar. John the Baptist's pathway was a lonely pathway. Job's pathway was a pathway of great loss. And for all of them, he says, I have determined, I will determine the best path for your life. Maybe you're a single person here and your whole life you've just wanted to be married and you've waited year after year and it's difficult for you to trust as you look at other couples and families. God, really, is this what you had for my life or at least in this season? Or maybe you're married and looking at the freedom of single people and saying, really, God, was this the best pathway for my life? And in, in all things, the barren womb to the fruitful womb, people going through difficult things and some people seeming to have an easier road this far in life, it is a difficult thing to look at him and say, God, I trust your leadership. But the yoke of humility says, God, I agree with your ways. Which, by the way, I don't have time to get into this, but I will just mention it. It will be the wedding vows that we declare at the end of the age. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will say, Lord, we agree your ways are right. And if you don't know how to navigate through situations that you may be facing even now, it is a declaration that he longs for, but it is a declaration that humility makes. I trust your leadership. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, it says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of the lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And we say, yes, God, we trust your leadership. But then it goes on. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God, I don't get it. Some receive their dead back to life again. Some are tortured and sawed in two, but we agree that your ways are right. You will determine the best pathway for our lives. I'm one who has studied everything that I could find on the Holocaust and the atrocities that happened during that period of history in World War II. And I love the story of Corey Ten Boom. I have heard every teaching and, and uh, uh, radio broadcast that she's done because for those of you that don't know the story, her father, uh, Betsy, Ten, or excuse me, Corey Ten Boom's father, Casper uh, Ten Boom, made a decision as a Dutch man to stand with the Jews. They hid Jews uh, during the most difficult times of the Holocaust. But not only that, he, they, they risked their own lives in, in hiding Jews. And as a matter of fact, Casper would wear the, the signs, the, the, the band on his arm that the Jews were required to wear. And different friends would say to him, why are you doing that? It'll affect your food rations. It'll affect how you're treated by soldiers. And she, he would say, no, I'm going to stand with Israel. They had prayer meetings in their home. And some of you have heard the story uh, of the hiding place and that little space in, in their house where they hid the, the Jews for all those weeks. Well, finally, they, the family was caught doing this and the entire family was separated and put in concentration camps with the exception of Corey and her sister, Betsy. They were put in the same concentration camp. Well, Betsy had an illness that she fought her whole life, and so the concentration camp was even more difficult for her. There were tasks that they were uh, given to do that Betsy just couldn't do. And as Corey watched her sister, Betsy, being abused over and over by the Nazi soldiers, uh, Corey became more and more bitter, and she spent much of her life preaching on forgiveness because of this revelation that she had in the concentration camps. Betsy, her ill sister, noticed the bitter root that was starting to form in her, and she called her sister aside and said, Corey, you can't do this. This is poison. Bitterness is poison. There's another way. God's way is different. And, then, and, and Corey looked at her and said, how can you still make these declarations? I don't understand God's leadership. And she looked at her sister and said, Corey, there's no pit too deep that God's not deeper still. Will you trust his leadership? Here's a woman who ended up dying in that same concentration camp days before the release, what would have been her release and what was Corey's release. 
And Corey spent the rest of her life preaching all over the world, persecuted China, where Christians were suffering in different places all over the world, saying there is hope, there is a deeper pit in God, and I have found it. There's a deeper place in him, and he is enough. But it takes a yoke of humility to say, God, I, I don't get it, but I trust your leadership. Jesus said, you're impressed with these miracles that I'm performing, or maybe you're confused by the things I'm teaching. I want you to understand this. I only do what I see the Father doing. I trust his leadership. That's what Emmanuel, God with you, is saying through his son, Jesus. Trust his leadership. And it's what the yoke of humility does. But not only that, or, or the yoke of humility says, I trust his leadership, but then it brings a rest and a freedom that's available to all of us. The second thing the yoke of humility does, which is going to seem, it is very similar to the first thing, but it is different, and it's this. The yoke of humility submits to his ways. That's a whole new level. It's one thing to trust his leadership. It's another thing to submit to his ways. In Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9, it says this. Good and upright is the Lord. Listen, I'm trying to figure out a little joke to insert in here to make this a little lighter. And I, it's just not working out. So, um, But I really believe that there is an urgency in the heart of God. I really do. So let's go back to Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore... He instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. That's good. Like, like we can submit to his ways because he gives us uh, instruction in his way and he shields us from any dart of the enemy but we have to submit to his leadership I think a beautiful picture of this is found in the life of Moses in Numbers chapter 12 we read the story of Moses and and Miriam and Aaron who are Miriam and Aaron are the siblings of Moses and they begin to speak out against Moses because they don't like his new wife they don't like her ethnicity and they begin to be critical. But as they start to talk to God about it, we, we discover that that wasn't really the issue. They had a different issue. In Numbers 12, verse 2, th this is their cry before the Lord. Have you spoken only through Moses? Haven't you spoken to us as well? And the scripture says that the Lord heard it. Verse 3, it says, now Moses was a humble man more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That, that's a better testimony than the one we considered with the ladies about King Ahab. He was the most humble man in all the earth. So the Lord meets with, the, with Moses in the tent of meeting, uh, but after meeting with him in the tent of meeting, he comes down in a pillar of cloud and he says to Aaron and Miriam, I need to talk to you. I don't know about you, but I'd be freaking out in that moment. I've been complaining about my brother. A glory cloud comes down and says, hey, we need to talk. So, so they go where the cloud goes and the Lord speaks. And he says, you know what? Let me answer this, uh, th these things that you have been wondering out of this critical spirit. And he says, listen, here's the answer. I speak to Moses face to face. Many of my prophets I speak to in riddles. 
but I speak to him clearly. As a matter of fact, Aaron and Miriam, Moses has seen my very form, so you should probably be afraid to speak against him. The cloud lifts, Miriam is struck with leprosy. Now let's be honest, how many of you, if you were Moses, would be like, now that is what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? And the leadership of God in that moment, he defended Moses. And the yoke of humility says, you know what? If God doesn't defend me, I won't be defended. That's what the yoke of humility says. And that's what Moses said clearly because uh, Aaron turns to Moses and says, forgive us, we're sorry, forgive us, we're sorry. Ask the Lord to lift the leprosy. And Moses does it. Why? Because he went to, it's that, that second component of the yoke of humility that is a whole nother level. It's one thing to trust the Lord's leadership. It's another thing to submit to his ways. And he did what the Lord would do. I love, this is, this is just for free. It, it really has nothing to do with anything except it's just fun to talk about. I love that when Moses cries out on Miriam's behalf, the Lord's like, all right, I'll heal her in a week. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, Moses wouldn't love it. I love it. And that's why I need to learn the yoke of humility. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Nothing. Even when the person deserves it. Even when the person's been critical of you. Even when you want to defend yourself so bad because you didn't deserve what was spoken. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others more than yourself. The yoke of humility says, God, I not only trust your leadership, I want to submit to your ways. And irregardless of what has happened to you, irregardless of what betrayal, and I'm telling you, as I was praying for all of you, I, I felt like that was a real theme, that some of you experienced some real betrayal. You've experienced some things you never thought you would experience, and you don't want to hear that you need to forgive the person. Like you just want to be angry for a little while longer. And I can tell you with some of your situations, I, like, I get it. With some of the situations that I've been talking people through in my office over the last few weeks, I get it. So how can we take on the yoke of humility when we have been hurt, when we have been misunderstood, when we have been judged, when we have been talked about? How do we take on the yoke of humility? It's, it's the instruction that we've been given in Matthew 18. I'm not going to read any of it. I'm just going to give you the reference. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And it's the parable of the man who had a, a, an impossible debt that he was forgiven, but then he couldn't forgive the small debt. How do we take on the yoke of humility, valuing people more highly than ourselves? How do you look at your siblings who have talked out against you to anyone that will listen? God defends you in his leadership, but then he's asking you if you'll yoke yourself to his ways and then cry out on their behalf. How do you do it? When you consider how impossible your debt was. And there is nothing that's been uh, held against you there's been nothing that's been done to you that is a greater debt than what you've been forgiven of. And his way is to, with endurance and with faithfulness, forgive us over and over and over. As a matter of fact, if you read that parable, we learn that if we will not forgive others of the debts against us, not only uh, will that bring a, a pain to God's heart, but it will put us in prison and open us 
to torment. Like that thing that we want to hold on to because we were so hurt, ma'am, for the unfaithful husband. Or sir, for the wife who was one thing before people and then another thing behind closed doors. Whatever it is for you, you are in a prison under torment because you refuse to take on the yoke of humility. Okay, God, maybe I know you're a good God. Maybe I know I would rather follow you than follow anything else or anyone else, but I cannot submit to your ways. It's too much. And I'm telling you, there is a bondage in that that in just saying, yes, God, I want you, I'm young at this, I'm new at this, but you're very experienced. How many of you can give testimony to that, that he is experienced in forgiveness, right? Is that, the, is that has that borne fruit in your own life? He is good and he is faithful. So God, I want you to teach me in the way of forgiveness. I want you to teach me in the way of humility because even though it's going to kill my flesh, it's gonna bring me freedom. And I can tell you this, this is something that I feel like I've had to uh, <laughs> lay hold of the Lord in more in the last few weeks than ever before. I mean, even in little things, right? When I, like, for example, when um, my husband's frustrated with me about something and he never, there's never a valid reason for him to be ever. <laughs> and that's the truth, like he is always wrong. <laughs> But if he's frustrated with me about something and I feel like it is very wrong for him to be frustrated, I'm telling you, I hear that still small voice, yoke of humility, yoke of humility. And I'm like, yeah, in just a minute. <laughs> I mean, right, Lord, you're a good redeemer. Just a minute, I'm gonna have my few minutes right now, right? And more often than not, I take those few minutes and then maybe I'll come back around saying, okay, God, I trust your leadership, but I'm not quite at that submitting to your ways. But here's the thing. We don't ever feel better when we get it off our chest. I mean, for a moment. But we don't feel that internal rest. We just get ourselves more worked up. And he's saying, come to me. You're weary. You're heavy laden. Come. I'm not going to just come snap my fingers over your head. I'm inviting you to come. Learn of me and you'll find a rest. And that invitation is being given to you. And I really believe that. Let me read another verse out of Isaiah, another passage, Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Oh God, we want your presence. I live with the one who is lowly and contrite in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Humility says, I want intimacy with God. Humility says, I want to be where he is. And humility says, I want to be yoked to his ways and it will bring freedom for your souls. So the yoke of humility trusts his leadership, the yoke of his leadership submits to his ways, and thirdly, the yoke of humility pulls you to the center. It's what the farmer taught me. But there is such a powerful principle in this, and I am praying 
that the Holy Spirit allows us to get this as it applies to our own worlds and our own seasons. Jesus is saying, when you want to go to the right or to the left, the yoke will keep you in the center. Listen to Psalm 91, verse 1 in the Amplified Version. It says this, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. He's calling us to the center. And I want to illustrate this for us by way of a story in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 7. It says this, it says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break, bre to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Can I get a witness? Oh. <laughs> there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. That's not me. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate after talking until daylight, then he left. Now I wanna give you a picture of what it would look like when teachers and rabbis would teach in rooms. All of the light was put to the center of the room candles and lanterns and the scriptures uh, which were larger would be laid out in the middle of the room and those that wanted to be closest to the teaching would be closest to the center of the room well Eutychus who's a young man is sitting on the edge he's sitting in the periphery if you will and he's saying as long as I'm near the light as long as I'm in these seats in this service I'm good I'm going to stay back here in the shadows. I'm not going to live in the light, but I'm going to live near the light. Eutychus sat on the edge, and I believe it's so he could sleep. And I believe that it was purposeful. We know for a fact that he did fall asleep, and he did fall out of the window. He didn't see the danger of being near the light, but not in the light. And I believe that instead of the word of God becoming familiar, it's become common. And he is calling us, to be familiar with the word and to be people who love the light. And I'm telling you, there are some of you that have had things in darkness for year after year, and it's too impossible for you to imagine things coming to the light. And humility says, I want to be near the light. I'm not going to be on the edge of the room saying, no, I'll be fine. I can look at these images, I can uh, open my heart up or my eye gate to these different things, and I'm going to be fine. Listen to what Proverbs 16, 18 says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We usually quote this, pride goes before the fall. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God said pride goes before destruction. Psalm 56, verse 13, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I might walk before my God in the light. John 12, 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Psalm 89, 15, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. 1 John verses 6 and 7, but we walk in the light as he is in the light. 
We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And it is that belief that he is a good leader and that his ways are right that causes us to say, I'm not going to keep things in darkness anymore. And that's when freedom comes. Psalm 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise. This is in the Amplified as well. Listen to this. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and dense darkness all peoples, but, but the Lord shall rise upon you, O Jerusalem, and his glory shall be seen on you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. He is calling us to the light. And some of you are sitting on the edge of the room and pride says, I'll be just fine. But this scripture tells us that there's danger. This, this story tells us there's danger for sitting in the periphery, for sitting on the edge. And I wanna uh, bring us now to, to Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 20 and 21. Now, O women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another how to lament. Listen to verse 21. Death has climbed in through our windows and it has entered our fortresses. It has cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. Death has climbed into the window and who, who death will touch are those that aren't sitting in the center of the room and aren't in the center but are sitting in the periphery. And I can tell you it's been a cry among our staff and among our church as we have just uh, gotten wind of the fact that there's darkness that has been living in people's lives, families that are now in a place of destruction and rubble, youth that are in dealing with things that we never knew they were dealing with and it's situation after situation and so many of my nights have been sleepless and a couple months ago I woke up in the night just hearing over and over death has climbed in through the windows death has climbed in through the windows which I knew was uh, out of Jeremiah chapter 9 which I just read to you and then the Lord spoke to me what the window was and we have an image for it if you can go ahead and put that on the screen I believe that's the window where death has crept in it's the information age. We have more access through the internet to information and to study, and that's a good thing. But there is this death that has crept in through our windows, and there's a lie. And it's not just uh, the computer screen, but I believe that this is a, a perfect picture of how the enemy works, where there is a viewing of things on the internet, and it's just this belief, like, it'll be fine. This isn't something that's going to own me. And then year after year after year, we let ourselves become bound by the darkness. And Jesus is saying, are you tired enough? Are you tired enough of this internal turmoil? Do you want rest for your soul? Then come to me, get off the edge of the room and come to the light. The yoke of humility trusts his leadership. The yoke of humility submits to his ways even when our flesh doesn't like it. And the yoke of humility comes to the center. Maybe for some of you, it's not 
uh, maybe it's not the internet or looking at things that you know displeases the heart of God. I don't know what it is for you, but you know, and I know the Holy Spirit will make it clear if you're living on the edge of something, saying, no, I'll be fine, I'll be back, I'm just gonna sit back here. There are tons of people that aren't even in the room, at least I'm in the room, and I'm telling you, we're watching it week after week after week where lives are being destroyed and hearts are being the hearts of young ones because of fathers that have gone wayward or mothers who have just left in the night leaving a note behind because they thought they could just sit on the edge and say oh, you know what I'm not going to come to the center of the room I'm not going to bring it to the light but humility comes to the light and he is inviting us because he's merciful don't you see how merciful, kind, and patient God is with us? Or don't you care? That's what Romans chapter 1 says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Be diligent to enter into his rest. And he is calling us to a diligence to enter into his rest. So, Lord, I thank you for your word that is powerful, for your word that clears a path for us to hear you and receive from you and not be afraid. You give us good things. You are kind. You are patient. And we love you, Lord. We need you. Lord, I pray if there are those that are here that have been struggling with your leadership, they just don't understand why you lead the way you lead, and there have been circumstances in life that have brought your leadership into question. Lord, would you cause their hearts to leap at this invitation that they could enter into rest saying, I will take on the yoke of humility that trusts your leadership. Or for those maybe that have been betrayed and have been hurt, God, I pray that they would choose tonight to submit, that they would choose to submit to your ways, God, in this hour as you're calling us into uh, a deeper place in you where we share in your yoke it's limiting we don't get to live the way we want to live but we have rest on the inside and we live free god i pray that those that have had a difficulty with forgiving or letting go of things from the past that there would be great grace for them today to say god i not only trust your leadership but i submit to your ways and father i pray lastly for those that have been living in the darkness and believing the lie that, that they're gonna get out of it somehow or that it's not gonna lead to greater destruction. I pray, God, that you would give them courage, that you would fill them with courage to choose you in this hour, God, and you would show them how to bring it to the light. Thank you for the yoke of humility, and I thank you for the invitation for freedom that I know you are issuing to the men and women that are gathered here. And I pray that you would fill them with courage to choose it. In Jesus' name, amen.